really excited to be connected today to be talking more about this really innovative field and the opportunities that it's going to be providing in, in healthcare, especially around education, training, patient safety, and also patient care, right? We can touch on those things as well. So um, with that said, I'm going to do a brief introduction to our panel members here, and then we'll take some time to kind of get a little bit better acquainted with them and their roles and their perspectives. Uh, we have Lewis Chang, who is the head of HTC Vive Medical VR. We have Kurt Kratchman, who's the CEO at Verti. We have Mark Zhang also joining us, who's the Chief Medical Information Officer for Digital Innovation at Brigham and Women's Hospital, as well the president of the new American Medical Extended Reality Association, or AMXRA. So really excited to be learning more about that. So gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me here today digitally from, I know, different parts of all over the world. So really excited to be coming together and having this discussion. So we'll start uh, with uh, Lewis. Uh, Lewis, tell us a little bit more about your role there with HTC Vive and your focus in the medical and healthcare spaces. Uh, thank you for having me, having me here. So I'm Louis Chen from HTC Vive, and I'm the head of the medical VR team. So our team's mission is to transform the healthcare from medical education to clinical application to precision medicine through innovative technology like VR, AR, and extended reality as well. So our team want to collaborate with the whole developers, the whole different uh, academic areas, researchers, hospitals, and physicians to really make a difference in healthcare. Fantastic. Well, really appreciate that. And of course, you know, as a chicken and the egg, we, we think in, in healthcare simulation sometimes well is that the methodology comes first of the technology. And I really firmly believe that it's the technology that has enabled us to be able to do these kinds of advances in healthcare education and training. And so it is the technology that is the egg. It comes first. And so we really need to focus on understanding the power, the potential of those technologies and really stay committed to them in terms of understanding as they evolve. Um, next, we'll go to Kurt, uh, who's the CEO at Verti. Tell us a little bit about Verti and what you do there. There, Kurt. Sure. Thanks again for having me. Uh, Verity's mission is to make experiential education affordable and accessible for everyone. We have started in the healthcare industry. We have a deep experience there. We were born out of COVID. Uh, we got a lot of traction in that period of time because of remote learning. And we've been pioneering at sort of enterprise training solutions, which have allowed organizations to create, scale, and analyze their experiential training. So what sets us apart is that our end users actually create their own simulations on our platform and distribute them themselves so they can be very custom to the specific use cases that they have in training. And in healthcare, as you can imagine, off the shelf doesn't really work. It's so specific and it's so complicated to the different parts of the organization that they need really flexible solutions from research to clinical. And that's where we've played a, a meaningful role. Well, that's really important to consider, right? Because everyone is a unique animal in healthcare. And so everyone, even though we all have these standards in terms of, you know, AHA guidelines and what have you, every clinical practice is doing things slightly different at this point. I think we'll see kind of uh, more mandate in the future to kind of get standardization. And of course, these technologies are going to help us to achieve that. But knowing that we have that, that ability to customize scenarios and create them per our specific needs, I think is one of the really fantastic things about virtual reality and excited to learn more about Verdi and the things that it's doing because certainly you know having this holodeck where we can go and build whatever we need in order to train for those specific clinical outcomes is just really important so really excited that uh, you're here joining us here today and uh, then we'll turn it over to Mark so Mark tell us a little bit about what you're doing there in terms of digital innovations at uh, at Brigham and Women's and, and then also would love to learn a little bit more about this new organization and its work uh, the uh, AMXRA Association. Well thanks so much Lance it's a real pleasure being um 
uh, on this on this kind of show. And you know, I will say one thing: uh, I'm the associate chief medical information officer uh, for digital innovation, but that's okay. I, I, I'm always a big fan of uh, uh, the massive uh, uh, promotions, uh, which which are which is very nice. Um, uh, but you know, as you mentioned, I, I kind of wear a couple of hats. So I'm, I'm a physician, a palliative care physician, and a clinical chromaticist. And um, uh, a lot of my administrative time is really leading digital innovation for Brigham and Women's Hospital, which is one of the um, two academic medical centers um, affiliated with uh, Harvard Medical School as part of Mass General Brigham. And my team really focuses on kind of four big buckets of work, but the one that's probably most uh, pertinent to this conversation is really uh, an emphasis on exploring emerging technologies and then thinking about how do we kind of engage with emerging technologies as a system? How do we become a subject matter expert and, um, and bring value uh, for, for what, what's going to be our future? And about a year and a half ago, we really took a deep dive into uh, XR. And, you know, I am not an expert. I'm not an expert. I'm still not an expert. I'm learning every day about new things in immersive technologies. The fact mm. that I know the term immersive technologies is uh, something that I've learned fairly recently. And as the year and a half has gone on, what we did was we looked both internally within Mass General Brigham to see what was happening in the system. But we also looked kind of at the industry as a, lo- as a whole. And uh, from that, we uh, met folks like the folks on this call, this, this, this show, uh, uh, groups like IBRHA, other academics and um, researchers across the nation and the world. But importantly, we found 30 plus projects over $5 million of funded research already happening at Mass General Brigham and XR. And with that, we um, uh, we made a recommendation to really kind of create a community for MXR within MGB, because of course, just like um, what we've seen across the nation and why we created, I created the American Medical Extended Reality Association, is that so much of what we saw was happening in these silos, incredibly productive yes. silos, but mm-hmm. very much silos. So what we're building at MGB is really a community to help break down those silos. And then um, to the larger extent, uh, the work we're doing with American, uh, I'm doing with the American Medical Extended Reality Association is exploring and, and trying to do the same thing for the, the field of medical extended reality. From my perspective, I think that the 21st century is going to be defined um, by these fundamental technologies that will just kind of move society as a whole. Yes. And it's inevitable that these technologies will also affect medicine. And to me, two of these critical, there will be more too, but two of these critical technologies um, will be artificial intelligence and extended reality. And in many ways, I see them being kind of um, uh, two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in the way I, I, I'm thinking about it, you know, AI is going to be how we um, process and create the world. And, and XR is going to be how we perceive and inter- interact with the world. And it's going to be that combination that really makes, uh, I think will define the 21st century for, for all sectors. And what I want to do is uh, make sure that we create the fundamentals, the foundation to move it forward for MXR. So you had said earlier, Lance, or is it the chicken and the egg? And I would say um, uh, it's, it's, it's both. Uh, and what I'm trying to do with XR, XR for medicine both within my institution and for the larger um, industry as a whole, is find the cooks and the folks who will eat the eggs and the folks who uh, will raise the chickens. So, you know, I think one of the things that you, you touched on is just, um, you know, about where we're at right now, you know, and I, and I just want to bring, you know, obviously we're all sick to death with COVID about talking about COVID, but the reality is, is that the industry has gone through a massive catalyst event with 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 COVID, right? And so I'd like to ask each of you briefly to touch on, you know, what did COVID do in your perspective to the industry in terms of adoption um, and, and, and growth potential and what kind of uh, effects did that have for, for our space? So again, we'll just start with Lewis and go from there. Thank you. So I think uh, COVID changed everything. So in, in Taiwan, we do a lot of things to help medical professionals to transform during this, uh, uh, what you call the opportunity, because it facilitated the speed of the VR development. 
So in Taiwan, uh, we use the VR to train the PPE, as you mentioned, and we also work with um, Verti to create simulations because uh, during COVID, like the uh, nurses cannot go to the hospital to, to intern, to practice. So we work with the professors to use Verti to create simulations, to do mm -hmm. the hybrid course, to make sure they can still do the internship but uh, they don't have to actually go to the hospital. They can still learn everything in an immersive environment. So the milestone is that um, if we take the nurse qualification exam, you have to go to hospital. But now our government, um, they agree to, to adopt this kind of change. So half of the internship, they can use the VR. To do the creation. So it's a major milestone we achieve uh, together with the professors and the government. And at the hospital, we also work with the Xinguang uh, Hospital. And uh, during COVID, it's quite challenging to get everyone together to, uh, to treat patients with COVID, uh, especially for team-based care. So Kurt, sounds like uh, HTC Vive and, and Verdi worked well together during uh, COVID to meet a new demand and a new need. But I'd love to hear from your perspective about some of the uh, ways you all helped to overcome the chaos that was the COVID pandemic. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and thanks, Louis, for the, for the shout outs. We, we've been really uh, closely partnered with HTC. And in the last year, um, we have uh, really trained thousands of educators across, not just in APAC, but across uh, other markets too. But Louis really pioneered a, a workshop approach that really complements the demystification of what getting into VR is and then mm -hmm. teaching people the tools. Our platform was really designed from the get-to-go to be a create, distribute, analyze uh, platform, right? Think of it as a no-code um, development suite where it has a what-you-see-is-what-you-get editor. Uh, it's editable content. You create your content in either 360 video or in 3D using avatars. Um, it's, although it's very compelling, not everyone has the budget or the infrastructure to give everybody access to headsets. So when we have to design for, if, if, if we're true to our mission, which is to make it really scalable and, and accessible uh, and cost-effective, we have to make sure that we're meeting on the devices that people have access to. Mm -hmm. But you can create once and publish anywhere. And I think that's really important. And so I think what we've done in the world of COVID, like you mentioned PPE and other types of protocols, we've given away our platform to get to scale so people can look at this on their mobile phone. But as they start to mature and understand the potential of what it's like to be in an immersive environment and get the experience of a headset, they sort of become true believers, right? It's those aha moments. Yes. And then, and then in that whole process, what typically happens is they, they, they start going back to like, you know, our, our traditional learning doesn't meet the expectations of today's learner. And they start going through the list of all the issues that they've had. So they started out with getting everything on YouTube. And then they realize that nobody watches it or they have no analytics. And then they, they, they try to do lectures and workshops and maybe Zooms or, or webinars, but those are like one-offs and not really curated quite well. And then they start moving and then you're, you come from a simulation background, you're an expert yourself. So you know how important it is to treat people and to do simulations and have tools and mannequins are really important. But in the world of, of richer media, there's even, not everyone can be on site or in a, in a, in a simulation center, right? right? Because those are oftentimes closed or they're booked up or they're hard to get to, there's just not enough access. And a lot of times, as you know, the data is poor because it's subjective about the assessments and it's hard to measure and, and, and evaluate. And all the you know, e-learning stuff that's around, the LMS systems are okay, but that's sort of like 20 years ago was revolutionary. Mm -hmm. And so we've sort of looked at all the abilities to take blended immersive learning and work with partners like HTC who have sensors for eye tracking, facial recognition, who can connect to haptics. And we look at all of those extensible future-proofing visionaries on the hardware side and we say, okay, can we be a platform to allow the end user to easily take their ideas, their concepts, and to distribute them and get all the benefits of a digital ecosystem, analytics, um, 
accountability, uh, all the benefits of an LMS, and can you make it really portable, but can you still have that really rich immersive experience? And so that's been sort of our, our philosophy, and I think we've executed pretty well against it. And the, and the, the fact is, a couple, when we started in COVID, obviously we had, we had one really big sponsor, we had the NHS in the UK, and they, they really you know, gave us presence. But today we, we have over 50 enterprise customers just in the healthcare space. And these are, these are major medical systems. Um, and Lewis can speak to the ones in Taiwan. They're the biggest medical systems in the world and they're really sophisticated and they're really leaned in. But it does start out, it, you know, it's not like people just come to our website, download, you know, log in and start building. They still need a human intervention to sort of get them comfortable and kickstarted because it is a big change. It's a philosophical mindset, it's behavioral shift. But once they start seeing traction quickly and they have and the value is short because the time to value is really quick with our platform, they can they can see things almost immediately. So you get that really interesting reaction that you, you can produce something, show it, share it, and it might not be the best quality your first iteration. But the fact that you have control over it and you can edit it, those are those are powerful. Th th that's what the world expects in content today. And why why can't VR be that way? Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate you know some of those notes, especially around the the concept of a, of a digital standard, right? And so one of the things that I've experienced in my own clinical education was you know we would have different instructors come to our fire academy from different municipalities around us that were volunteering their time to us club boots, and we were so thankful for that. But that meant we had you know Torrance through the twenty foot ladder one way, Hermosa Beach through it a different way, and Redondo through the 20 foot ladder a different way. And so at some point I had to go up to the, the, the chief uh, for the school and I said, sir, you know, I'll throw this 20 foot ladder wherever, whenever you want, but which way am I gonna be tested on exactly, right? At the end of the day. And so, you know, I think one of the things that's that a digital tool allows us to do in clinical education and training is uh, create a standard that the, that the faculty agree to, right? For the curriculum. And then we can repeat that over and over and over again. And there will be no deviation from that, that frame that we provide for that clinical scenario, right? And so. Even there, we reduce the errors in terms of transferring this knowledge from faculty to learners in a way that starts to become much more measurable, right? And as you said, Kurt, we can edit these things, and so we can improve upon them, right, very quickly, and then we can quickly deploy them and see those iterations. It's kind of almost like, you know, what I see is this kind of revolution of digital marketing versus analog marketing. In the past, if you wanted to know how well an ad did, you had to put it in a magazine, wait for 50,000 to get distributed, and see about three to six months later about how well that did. Well, now we can run 50,000 ads in a day, and we can know which iterations are the best performing, right? So I think at scale, we start to see really some of the power and the potential of digital learning um, in the clinical practice space to qu more quickly get to the results that we're hoping for. But as you said, right, we need these aha moments. And I will say having run, you know, 250 plus webinars and a lot of them on virtual reality uh, technology on the healthysimulation.com learn platform, you know, one of the things that I always ask our audiences is how many of you have tried on a contemporary virtual reality headset? And I would say only half the room has said that they've tried a recent headset, right? Like the HTC uh, Vive uh, products, like the uh, new uh, Elite device. Not many people have had even just that first opportunity. And so I think, you know, as you say, demystifying virtual reality, I think we need to get a lot of people in headsets in the clinical world just for them to say, oh, wait a minute, right? I'm not tethered to a mainframe computer. I am free to move about the cabin. I'm free to interact. I can communicate with AI technology that can respond realistically to me back and forth. And so, wow, this is actually pretty groundbreaking. And so I think part of what we need to do is just continue to do the work we're doing here, promoting and exploring what's happening in the space, but also just getting people's aha moments by enabling them to try on these headsets for the first time and learn more about that. So really appreciate your insights there and for the amazing work that Bertie has been doing. Hearing that there's wow, already 50 you know, massive institutions and more that have this deployed that are taking uh, advantage of these opportunities. You guys got to be seeing a lot of success stories happening from your side. And so um, you know, I'll, we'll come back to that in terms of you know, use cases and examples of, of successes. But I want to get to Mark and, and hear his thoughts as well about, you know, 
how virtual reality impacted his uh, programs there and the things that he's seen uh, with regards to COVID and, and what took place there. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I would just, uh, just a piggyback. I, I think that um, heads and headsets is such an important piece of uh, this work. You know, when I think about uh, the, the initiative that we have at Mass General Brigham, we call it Next Up Extended Reality. And the idea with Next Up is to create this community both digitally, virtually, and then importantly in person. So we have an in-person monthly meetup where uh, part of that meeting is a uh, heads and headsets. Uh, we, we, we have a, a couple, you know, different manufacturer headsets. We have some XR headsets. We have uh, virtual reality, just straight VR headsets. Uh, and we're trying to get people to have the aha moment because you're so absolutely right. In order to get that, that's how people then understand what the value is. So I would say that COVID was truly a huge kind of um, accelerator for all things digital. And without that, I think, you know, the, the rise of telehealth, just in general, take away virtual was massive during COVID. And also I think, you know, now we're starting to see some of the disillusionment of telehealth. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many of us, probably this is our fifth and or 75th uh, meeting on a screen with four plus, you know, folks looking at each other, probably it's Friday. So I'm actually really impressed that all cameras are on. Um, but, you know, at some point there are really great reasons and really great value that have been extracted from uh, traditional kind of telehealth and tele uh, telecommunication um, uh, uh, modalities like Zoom or Teams. Uh, but using virtual reality is just such a different and in many ways better experience to have that sense of presence. You know, we internally at the Digital Innovation Hub, my team, we have a, at least one to two weekly meetings in VR. And particularly when the weather is bad or we're working remote, it's not as good as being in person, but it's way better than being on the screen. And uh, Lewis, you mentioned your nurse, nurse colleagues being kind of big adopters. We're seeing the same thing. In fact, one of our uh, most excited and earliest adopters for virtual reality training that we're working with is uh, the Center for Nursing Excellence at Brigham and Women's. And they are just incredibly excited about all of these technologies, especially because they have true pain points that they can use these technologies now. So they have a, res a nursing residency group every couple of weeks, you know, over 20 to 40 nurses who are onboarding into the Brigham typically go to a traditional uh, kind of in-room training session. So like a full day, a lot of lectures and the opportunity immediately uh, was seen with these kind of remote kind of immersive technologies to be able to offload some of that in-person training to things that could be done more remotely or done at least more interactively. And that to me is in incredibly exciting as well. Right. And so, you know, I think, you know, if you build it, they will come and there's a snowball effect, right? Yeah. We've seen this in clinical simulation. And so, for example, when I was the director of the then new uh, clinical simulation center for the Nevada system of higher education in 2009, when we launched the program, and it was a great interprofessional education opportunity because we brought a medical school and two nursing schools together into one simulation lab to share resources. But, you know, we would try to explain until we were blue in the face about the potential and the power of simulation. And it wasn't until those clinical faculty saw other clinical faculty using the simulation mannequins and the, the various uh, tools that we had available that then they had the aha moment to say, oh, wow, like we could be doing this too. And then after that, some of those faculty, we couldn't get them to stop calling us because they wanted to keep doing, you know, new and new tasks. What examples do you see virtual reality working really well right now in the healthcare space specifically? And love to hear about some of the key examples of uh, some of the work being done at those many institutions that are already utilizing any examples. We'd love to hear. So we create a five wheel effect to make a difference. So first of all, we will go to meet our clients, hospital users face to face to put a VR to get in, get engaged. And then they will try to use VR properly to make sure we can create deliver values of VR. And then once we engage them, we work them to integrate into their curriculum. So it's important, it's the must have to turn from nice to have to the must have. 
and integrate into the curriculum. So the second step, we have to deliver the workshop. So in that workshop, we engage everyone. Uh, 60 people will join that uh, workshop. So we teach them uh, how uh, VR works and what VR is, and then uh, use Verity to create all those simulations. So they are like their babies. They love it because once you start to engage with them, they start to have their own productions. And they get familiar with the VR simulations. They start to integrate into a curriculum to do research. So we are creating a scalable and sustainable uh, for, for teaching purpose. So it's important how we really make a difference in, in healthcare because VR is cool. When we approach our professors, users, uh, they say, okay, VR is cool, but how can I use that? And uh, any guideline to us or any research to prove that, do we have any outcomes? That's why we should have um, a mark to, to lead us to do the academic re research. And we should have the developers, partners like Verti to create a whole ecosystem with us. So we're not just providing the VR headset, but we are providing the software, we're providing the hardware, we're also providing the solutions to really make a difference in healthcare. Thanks for sharing that. And so uh, moving on to Kurt, you know, Kurt, uh, what examples do you see virtual reality working really well right now in the healthcare space specifically? And love to hear about some of the key examples of uh, some of the work being done at those many institutions that are already utilizing Virginia examples. We'd love to hear. So we've been deployed for advanced heart rescue, um, response and treatment of acute syndrome, you know, symptoms uh, around hospice care, uh, difficult conversations that you have to give when you're when you're sharing information that somebody is terminally ill. Those, those are, those are, those conversations, we, everyone has a little bit of training in them, but you really need to practice them. There's a lot of anxiety and stress when you are, have to give bad news to somebody. It's not just the subject matter experts in the field or at the uh, nursing school or the, the medical center. It's also the uh, 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 patients themselves who are having an experience about before they go into cancer care. What is that, uh, what is that experience going to be like? Can we create a simulation so they can, we can remove the stress and we can reduce anxiety before they have a, um, uh, an emotional experience. So our, our, although we use quite a lot inside the hospital and inside training, we're all, those use cases also extend to patients um, and also to uh, students who are entering the field to give them a view to see if this is the kind of stuff they really want to get into because most of their education is on TV or maybe through a friend or a parent or a direct experience. And those are all legitimate pathways in. But man, when these students put on a headset, and they can have a literal experience of these surgeries or a training protocol, it, it, it really gets them wired for, uh, it gets their competitive juices flowing. So those right. are, that's the ecosystem that we're talking about. We want to hit all of those folks. And we're just at, just at the beginning, just right. at the beginning. It's very early days still. And that's what's so exciting about it, right? If we think about our cell phones and just how much they have evolved in the past 15 years and where headset technologies are going to continue to evolve to, you know, really remarkable opportunities. And now, of course, AI, right, is obviously making a splash. And so when we start to combine these things uh, together, as Mark suggested, it's going to be for a really powerful pl place in the future. But, you know, just one use case alone that you demonstrate, you discussed with regards to orientation of the professional field. You know, I read a stat, I think it was pre-COVID, so, you know, that needs to be updated. But uh, I've read a stat that 38% of new nurses retire from the profession within the first two years. Well, something is drastically wrong with that number, right? The amount of time, effort, and resources and money that it takes to, to educate, train, and then orientate that, those individuals to particular hospitals um, is massive. And so if we could provide for a better understanding of what the reality is of the role prior to them stepping into it, I think we give more of those individuals that are in alignment with those types of, you know, say nursing practices, you know, whether they work in the ICU or the emergency department, or if they want to go some 
maybe more into research or they want to go into, you know, a, a different oncology or a different field, right? Providing those opportunities to experience what these worlds look like, um, that's going to have huge implications, not just for healthcare, but for many vertical uh, verticals where there's these high stakes environments, right, where, where a lot of uh, stress is involved. Just finally on touching on this point of use cases, you know, now I think we've got the opportunity to expose errors within a system uh, just through the regular training that can take place in situ in, in our clinical practice arenas. We have the opportunity to research and experiment with new ways of providing clinical practice through the use of simulation and XR technologies to find new ways of doing things or to experiment with new processes. And I think we also have a, a way to repair issues that are known to us, right, in terms of a medical error, right? And outside of COVID, medical error is the third leading cause of the United States. Um, and I think a really important point to bring up here to everyone listening in is, is that there is currently uh, in the U.S. Uh, House of Representatives a bill introduced on the floor to create a new National Patient Safety Board, right? And so that would be, I think, massive in terms of the first federal agency really looking at medical error, patient safety initiatives, and what kind of things can we do to improve those uh, metrics. And of course, simulation and XR technologies is going to be right there at the forefront. I think we're, we're going to go here where we wrap up uh, the hour together here is to look at the future, right? And just kind of better understanding what all you think the future holds with regards to XR technologies, specifically, yeah, you know, virtual reality. What does that hold in terms of the future? And what barriers do we need to overcome? What challenges are kind of prohibiting us from being there right now? What are we going to need to kind of do in order to get to that next level in terms of what virtual reality can do for the space? And uh, again, we'll start with Lewis. Okay, thank you. So we're transforming from Ready Player One, the movie, to professional care team. So it's a player to professional, but for the player, the one guy to the whole team. So it's the concept how VR is not just for gaming. VR is to really to cure, to help more people, to bring better lives. So the most important, we keep developing the most innovative VR headset. We, we also need to turn the POC proof of concept to must have and integrate into their curriculum to make sure you can really create the values from medical education to clinical education. So it's quite we're working and we'll keep working with our developers, uh, academic area, hospital, and make a difference together. Thank you for sharing that. And so Kurt, um, where do you see the future for virtual reality and some of the challenges that we're gonna need to overcome uh, to get there? Yeah, I think the key word, Mark used it, and it's really communication. I think when we talk about XR and all these different acronyms, we're really talking about one thing. It's just better communication. These technologies enable us to communicate more effectively. His example was around collaboration, which was pretty amazing at, the, at, a, you know, at a distance and a really high fidelity experience that they can collaborate on. And so from our perspective, I think what the, the growth of the market will depend on a few fundamental pieces. It's really about what, what Lewis said about operational integration. One is content creation. I think that we have to create better tools to speed up the content creation process. No one wants to burn a bunch of cycles trying to figure out how to take what they're thinking and moving it into a simulation. So we want to make better tools for content creation. I think the immersion itself, immersion has to be upgraded. We have these different, we have a metaverse, we've got collaboration in sort of video, we have hybrids of the two. There's no, there's not a perfect model yet. And, and because of 5G, because of AI, because of content management systems and other types of rich, uh, rich distribution systems, it's getting better, um, but we're not there yet. So I think that we have to make training more immersive and more realistic. The avatars that we use combined with the photorealistic environments have to come together. And I think better engines, whether it's Unity or Real or others, will we'll be improving that. Even in the last 
couple weeks. We have upgraded all of our audio and all of our avatars to have, we, we do it in multiple languages. Uh, we do it in multiple tones, uh, accents. Um, you know, all that sort of realistic sounding elements all plays into that, into the end users. They don't want to be in a generic video game. They want something that's realistic. And when you're doing healthcare, you need things that are very realistic. So it's not just about the content creation, but the actual uh, experiences has to be more realistic. I think the third, the third really important piece is going to be assessment and assessing uh, that, and that's really, really get the ROI. And that's where you're assessing the learners and you're gaining those superior insights of what's happening. And that's where the data comes in. That's where the quantification, uh, both, both also the quality, you know, and also qualitative um, analysis that takes place with the instructors. But I think we have to show how data can be used to tell a better story about what impact it's having, because that's where more people will get comfortable with understanding that some procedures can be done at parity, if not better, inside VR uh, that are done today, which offloads some of the training to use use in VR. And so you can come up with really good standards, and then you can uh, and then you can use that time more efficiently to focus on small trainings, specialized training, things like that. Um, and then the collaboration piece that we've sort of alluded to, sharing uh, access, building content together, uh, those are all aspects that will help with the growth of the market and bring, I think, VR uh, more into the operations of the healthcare ecosystem. Um, and there's, you know, there's lots of tools out there, but relative to other, you, you know, you, what you mentioned earlier was the comparison to the advertising ecosystem, the digital ecosystem at the very beginning of the call. And that ad tech space and the MarTech space, if you think about where it started back when Google was coming up or Facebook was coming up, we talked about the iPhone and going from web browser to mobile and now maybe to this generation that we're in. Well, let's not forget the amount of companies that were doing this kind of stuff in the beginning. There were very few. Today, there's over 10,000 companies in the MarTech and ad tech ecosystem. 10,000. Right. That's a very intense uh, uh, set of both systems and, and platforms, but it shows how an ecosystem grows over time. And if that was a 20-year journey, well, already the adoption of VR is happening just as fast as the mobile, as mobile and other technologies are coming up. It's moving. It's hard to see sometimes because everyone sort of dismisses it as sort of like novelty or maybe not a business to business use case. But I, I find it's actually happening really strong with businesses are taking it really seriously at industry level. And so all these things that we're talking about in healthcare, I think healthcare actually has the ability to create protocols and standards better than any other industry because of their historical uh, um, approach to patient management and to the clinic the scientific method. And I think if we, if we bring the best of breed of, let's say what Mark's expertise is into this ecosystem with the same kind of discipline around software and, and the same kind of sort of um, uh, enablement on the hardware ecosystem, we're gonna come up with something that's quite powerful. And hopefully there'll be 10,000 vendors who can do fantastic stuff in this ecosystem. Right now, there's just very few because it's a, it's a tough nut to crack and it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Well, I will say every week I, I've, I'm introduced to a new virtual reality in healthcare um, a company that I've never seen before, uh, never heard of before. And so I think we're, you know, we're on the precipice of, you know, of, uh, of expanding in terms of the numbers of groups that are trying to focus on this work as it certainly, I think groups are starting to see, oh, wait a minute, there's going to be something massive here that I think is going to be absolutely huge for the space. Just going back really quickly to, to Mark's point, you know, I think the opportunities for IPE or interprofessional education are massive, right? Um, and just a quick story to share there about, you know, how do we get that C-suite you know, team to better understand in terms of um, what the potential is, which I think is so been so important to the success of the rollout of a simulation program to have that higher level administrative, either, you know, the deans 
um, or presidents of an institution in the educational level or C-suite executives or, or CNOs or chief kind of um, responsible professionals at the top uh, there in the hospital. Um, amazing story from Ivor last year where uh, basically one of the speakers suggested that they had their headset with them. They were in the elevator. I mean, couldn't get any closer to an elevator pitch. There was a C-suite uh, who was going up with them. They said, hey, what's in the box? It's a VR headset. Tried it on after the end of the elevator ride. And by the time that they were done, they were like, bring this to the board. I'm going right now. And so she ran down, got a bunch more headsets, brought them up. The entire board got an opportunity to try the virtual reality headset. So there we also need that aha moment opportunity, right? So I think it's really important for people to think about ways that they can find, hey, just a demo night, right? Or, or a, an open house of virtual reality for their institutions to introduce these technologies and then provide those opportunities to explore and consider the future in terms of what's available there. And, you know, Kurt, to me, it's, um, I know you have a little bit of a background in film and digital media. And so to me, you know, this concept of the medium is the message, right? And so I think that you see not only technologies like television and radio and the computers, PCs, and then the internet have a shorter time frame for uh, adoption, right? And so I think you'll see a massive growth with regards to virtual reality headsets in just a few years. It's going to be a dramatic kind of expansion because the, the medium is so powerful and it can enable us to do so much. I'm really excited to continue to see the things that Birdie's going to be doing in the space there. So Mark, you know, we've had a couple of, of great insights into you know, things that are coming down uh, in the future for virtual reality, some of the challenges. What are you guys seeing there, uh, both through the association and at the uh, at Brigham and, and Women's in terms of, you know, institutional challenges to get to the future of, of where virtual reality has a, a serious potential in, in the healthcare space? Yeah, I, I think I think I'm probably I'm just preaching the choir, but we're at the time, so I know we're trying to wrap up. Uh, but I'll just say that, you know, before COVID, I was giving a talk in a city undergoing massive economic boom. And there were buildings coming up so quickly that the roads didn't connect. I think that's where we are with XR as a whole, particularly with medical XR. And what we're trying to build both at MGB and with the American Medical Extended Reality Association are some foundational pieces, the roads, the roads to connect the buildings. And that's what we're trying to do with, um, with the society. So. Awesome. Yeah. And so um, with that, I think uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start to wrap up here. You know, I just want to uh, remind everyone that they can learn more about uh, each of the groups here with regards to Vive.com, Verdi.com, HealthySimulation.com, and as well, the AMXRA.org uh, website. You know, a lot of appreciation to uh, HTC Vive with regards to bringing us together here to have some of these important conversations. I look forward to, to more of them because obviously we're on the precipice of some really amazing um, expansions of virtual reality into the space. We hope you all join us on the next one here for this amazing series and visit us at our various websites so that we can continue to support you, the audience, with regards to your rollout and utilization of, of virtual reality. So with that, thank you to all of my uh, speakers here today. Appreciate you all. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Lance.